Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast, a show where dreamers and doers share stories of discovering, developing, and spreading their joy with the world. I'm your host, Jeremy Slagle. In this episode, Thad and I sit down with Mark Henson, founder of Sparkspace, which is a creatively inspired retreat center in Columbus, Ohio. Mark, it's obvious that he's one of those people who loves what he does. But as you'll hear, even when you love your work, you can lose your passion for it. In our conversation with Mark, he takes us on a journey of highs and lows and ultimately rediscovery. His new book, Ordinary Superpowers, outlines much of his thinking as he went about rediscovering his joy, not only at Spark Space, but also how he could share what he's learned with others. His refocused purpose is to help people recognize the superpowers they have and how ordinary people like you and me can get unstuck and unleash our full potential and then share it with the world. This is the Joy Venture Podcast with Mark Henson. Thad's got some, uh, some throat issues that are bothering him. Today. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sounding somewhere between puberty, Peter Brady, um, three packs of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> It's ridiculous. I got, <clears throat> I've got a recurring issue with my vocal cords that okay. come and go, and yeah. it has come again. So <laughs> perfect timing. If I right. if I talk loud, it's not as bad. But the, the lower I talk, it, the I sound really breathy and odd. I think it's kind of sultry. <laughs> it is. <If> you, <laughs> We're gonna have a whole new podcast this season, right? <laughs> I think not. But okay. If we. Uh, yeah, if you do have a great epic Peter Brady crack, I promise not to edit and just you know like that. Actually, what we may do, you may, you and I may just do a one-off on why I sound so weird at some point. Okay, yeah, there may be because it, it's. I have a feeling it's going to fluctuate here until I have surgery again. That's, I sound weird because I had my nose broken really bad one time. I had mine too. My okay. nose broken. Yeah, so Mark, any nose broken? Uh, I have a deviated septum. There, so there we go. My we, nose has always been crooked. I we've all got a deviated tend septum. To, tend to snore so this a little episode bit. is going to be about deviated septums. <laughs> <laughs> Forget spark space. Exactly. <laughs> the things we all have in common. Yes. Well, thank you for inviting us down. Your space is awesome. We love um, having the opportunity to visit where people work, and that's it. Really helps us kind of get the feel and the personality and the vibe of, of the conversation. And your place is especially epic um, because it was designed specifically for creativity. And that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I think it's, it's amazing that you guys, uh, you know, cart all this stuff down and, and set it all up. And uh, it's definitely a different way of, of having an interview or a conversation like this uh, and, and way more personal and intimate. And <laughs> I'm not used to looking at people right in the face. So, so this is this is great. I love it. Yeah, I and mean, we have yet to do a, uh, a a podcast where we've had to do a remote call in yet. So that's yeah, we're, we're st- yeah we're still within the uh, within the zone of driving and getting to people, which is a good thing because this is this creates a level of intimacy that telephone conversation just can't create. Yeah, yeah. So we appreciate it again for allowing us to to uh, use your space. It's really awesome. So, um, so while we're sitting here, you've, you've created this space with sincere intentionality. I mean, you can see from the bowls of candy, uh, to the, the, all the fun things sitting around, um, that looks like it's part toy store to brain games, food and beverage, awesome bright colors like help us explain why this is the way it is and tell us a little bit about Sparkspace. Sure. Uh, Sparkspace when I first started out my original tagline was the world's best brainstorming place. Then that's what I intended it to be. I wanted it to be a place where people could come and be creative, think up new ideas. And over time that evolved, we dropped that tagline a long time ago and it's it's uh, it's evolved over the years into just a place of true collaboration and creativity and communication. Uh, so I designed it to be a place where people, uh, corporate teams in particular, who don't typically have 
great collaborative space and they work in very gray, boring, cubicle-oriented environments. I wanted a place for people to escape all of that and be able to get in a room where they felt more creative, they were more stimulated. It was a more exciting and energizing kind of place than they would typically work in every day. And that leads to better conversations, I think. And that's really what a meeting is. It's just a conversation, uh, hopefully with a purpose. And so what we do is we just do business meetings here. That's all we do. We, we focus on helping people have their best meeting ever. And I know not every meeting can be your best meeting ever, but we, we sure try when people walk in the door here to help them have their best meeting ever by providing everything they need, all of the uh, all of the high-tech bells and whistles, sure, but really this is a much more high-touch place. Um, it's a place to really encourage those conversations. Um, the things that people do when they're here, we've kind of focused uh, or, or been able to discover over time, I guess, that what they work on most often are um, relationship building among their team, um, solving challenges that they might have or thinking about a bigger and better future. So that's the kind of stuff that happens here. Okay. So at one point you were questioning some things, uh, as far as, you know, your career path and and others. And and you came to the point that this would be a really good idea. Yeah, I, yes. And, uh, I loved where I was working before. Um, I had, I worked for a design firm before I came to start my own business. And before that, I uh, actually was in a whole different career. I was in radio before that. And uh, I, I know I loved my last job. In fact, I always said that if, if I hadn't started a business, I'd probably still be there as, as long as it stayed the same company because it was a, a great place to work at that time. In fact, I approached them about this idea to begin with and said, hey, I have this idea, this thing I, I would really like to pursue, and I'm kind of passionate about it, and what do you think? And they actually said, you know, we were thinking about something similar, you know, an internal kind of facility like that. Would you be interested in building and running that for us? And at that time, I thought, I thought sure, yeah, I'd rather use your money than mine because they had a lot <laughs> more money than I did. And, uh, it never panned out. And so I, I went back to them a few months later and they said, yeah, we still love to do it, but we're just not going to get to it any day soon. So if you want to do it, you have our blessing. And then, I, you know, I took it one step further and I said, could I still work here while I do that and get it off the ground? And, uh, much to my, you know, pleasant surprise, they said, yeah, as long as you get your work done and as long as you're, you know, a good employee here, we, we, we like you, you like us. Uh, go for it. And uh, that's how it all got off the ground. I actually stayed at my last job for over a year until I uh, got to the point where I felt like I could step away from that. I kind of weeded myself down a little bit. I, I went down to from, you know full time to say 30 to 40 hours instead of 40 to 50 hours. And then I backed off a little bit more over time. Um, and then there was finally a day where they came to me with a big project and they said, this is going to be more of a full-time project. And it was right at that moment I was like, I can't go back to full-time working and doing this. So that was the point I stepped away. Yeah, I tell people a lot of times, I work with a lot of people that have a full-time job and a, a part-time hustle Yeah, that they really want to be their full-time job. And, and I have the question all the time, like, what do you, when do you know? Like, when do you know it's, it's time to do this? And it's like, you know. Right. That, that opportunity presents itself or that, and, but I will say that it almost always is a leap of faith too. Oh yeah. I mean, I still didn't have a salary here. I, I literally left, you know, a $55,000 a year job and went to no salary whatsoever because I poured everything back into, uh, this business. And I did that for another, I, I wish I knew exactly how long it was. It was somewhere between two and three years until my wife looked at me one day and said, hey, this is a really nice hobby you have going on here, but you either need to start paying yourself or you need to go get a job uh, if you want to keep doing this thing. And so the very next week, I paid myself the very first paycheck, and I've paid myself you know, every, every two weeks since then. So never missed a payment to myself, which is good, once I started. That's good. That's good. But it no. took a while. I mean, it was, you know, when people talk about uh, side hustle or starting a business, um, you know, I, I think they want to get paid right away. And sometimes it just takes a long time to get something off the ground. It took a good two to three years before this was a real viable business where I could pay myself and then start looking at maybe hiring other people to help me out. 
Um, and that's a long time. That's a long time to go without pay. I, I, thankfully for me, you know, knock on wood, I had a sugar mama. Is what I call my wife. She she kind of floated us through that period, which was you know fantastic. Yeah, and not everybody has that. I realize so. It, sometimes you got to get there faster than I did. I had the luxury of a little extra time because of my sugar mama. So, so go ahead, then. What, what year did you What year did you start Sparkspace? Two thousand. Okay, I, I'm trying in my head. So looking at this space, it feels like you know, kids' room meets fun basement meets there's a projector in here, right? It's, it's yeah. like, it's, it's like I, you could easily show a Disney movie or a PowerPoint. Right. And it's, it's, it's got such a fun vibe. And so I, I don't remember when the office started its run on NBC, but I'm thinking there's a lot of people that I'm thinking of the Michael Scott's of the world that are like, no, 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 we can just do this in our own conference room. Sure. And, and, and so talk about, you know, that moment you, you've sort of, created this sort of long off-ramp, if you will, um, to the point where it's it's time to make the leap. But at the same time, talk a little bit about how challenging it was to convince people, or or not, that, no, you really need to get out of <laughs> of your cinder block walls and, um, you know, one easel in the room and come and experience something that, that's going to open you up. How, how difficult was that? Uh in some ways, it was really easy. In other ways, it was more difficult. And I'll explain that in two parts. The first part is, is I did not invent an industry, right? This was yeah. uh, I, the meeting and event industry has been around for a long time. So people have been renting conference rooms at hotels and conference centers for decades before I started this. Uh, what they didn't have was anything unique, creative, fun, uh, comfortable, Everything was very blank box. You know, you go into a hotel conference room or a conference center, and it's just this boring generic room that they can set up a million different ways to maximize that space. And I get that, and there's there's a need for that for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I wanted to do something different. Coming out of a creative environment, I wanted to create a creative environment for other people. Uh, a big part of it was because I saw um, – our clients come in at the, the, the design firm that I worked for, our clients would come in and they would say things like, gosh, you guys are so lucky to work in a place like this. No wonder you're so creative all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hear enough of that. You're like, doesn't everybody work like this? You know, like, doesn't everybody get this? And once I looked around and saw that it wasn't out there, I was like, yeah, maybe somebody ought to build one. And maybe that somebody's me. And so that, that part was easy is that people were going offside already. The harder part, when I first started, I I told you my tagline was the world's best brainstorming place because that was the other sort of half of me that I love the space part. I love the design aspect of it, but also I was doing a ton of brainstorming facilitation and I sort of became the go-to brainstorming guy in my former company. And because I love doing it, I love the process. We would develop these amazing brainstorming sessions for our clients. I mean, we're talking big clients like, you know, back in the day, Blockbuster Video and uh, Johnston and Murphy Shoes and uh, SC Johnson and those kind of companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies. And we were doing these amazing like new product idea type things and um, I loved doing that kind of work. It was really fun. It was part of the reason I wanted to start this place is let me build a place to do that kind of work with other people. So I thought people would come naturally and flock and to here to do brainstorming and, and hire me to facilitate. And nobody hired me to facilitate brainstorming. They would just come in and go, this is a great place. Can we just rent the room? We don't really need you kind of yeah. thing. Uh, and that was kind of a, you know, a crush to my uh, ego. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, well, the opportunity here seems to be at that time, the space itself, people wanted the space. So I, I backed off the facilitation part of it for a long time and just offered the space Mm. and it took off. And part of how I got that off the ground is, um, you know, people always ask me how I got started and how we got, you know, how'd you get business in the door? And I just did the age old, you know, tried and true method of, I gave it away. I just gave it away for at least the first three or four months. I didn't charge anything. Mm. People just came in and, you know, we offered it to every friend or, you know, family member that was in the corporate world that had a, you know, a team and wanted to come in and have an offsite meeting. And then they spread the word for us. And truly ever since those first days, our best marketing has always been word of mouth. We hardly, I mean, in 17 years, 
uh, we've hardly spent any money at all on marketing. I mean, a tiny drop in the bucket. So understanding that there's always been, you know, the hotels and, and a need to, to, to host something like that, whether people are coming in, in t- into town, out of town, whatever. Um, we, and coming from a design background and, and creative people, this obviously makes sense. Was there anybody else doing this that you thought, yeah, did you, did you see Spark Space or what you envisioned for Spark Space somewhere else and it just wasn't happening here? How, how, did, how did you get the vision to say, it's going to be like six, eight, rooms and it's going to kind of have this vibe was there a prototype out there there was actually and obviously i worked in a very creative environment and i actually used to recreate this in our own conference rooms because even though we we lived in uh and worked in a really creative environment our conference rooms were still conference rooms yeah so when we would do those brainstorming sessions, I would go shopping around the office and I would bring in all the designer furniture. Like I'd be, I'd be carting these, you know, $3,000 Ames chairs into the, uh, the conference room and banging them down the doorways. I had no, I, I had no idea at the time, like how much some of this furniture cost. And, um, we had a, uh, a $10,000 conference table in this one conference room and it was in these sections and I wanted it out of the room. So I took it and I put it outside because we had a door directly to the outside. I put it out in this sort of courtyard area. This is a $10,000 table. And I, that was the only time I ever really got kind of called into the principal's office at that (laughs) job. And they said, you know how much that table costs? I said, "Uh, no, I mean, it's just a big wood table. Right. And they're like, that costs us $10,000. It can't go outside. (laughs) Okay. I won't do that again. (laughs) Um, but back to your original question at right around that time when I was really getting immersed in all the brainstorming, I went to this creativity conference and it was all about how to be more creative, how to be more innovative. And there were, uh, there was a breakout session there with these two people. One was a guy named Gerald Heyman, who uh, was from Chicago, and the other one I am blanking on her name now, but she was from Austin, Texas, and they both had creative spaces running at that time. Um, the one in Chicago was called the Thinkubator, and it actually still exists. It is the granddaddy of us all, I think. Um, and uh, I saw them speak, and saw the slides, and saw the you know the the environments they created, and they were talking about how fun and how passionate they were about uh, helping companies be more creative. And I was like, it was one of those moments. It was probably the only moment that I've ever had in my entire life. No, I've had two. One was when I knew I wanted to be in radio. And the second one was that moment. I was like, I want to build one of those. I want to do that. Okay, so you just opened the door for us about the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You just, you, you get ready to step through that door? Sure, I'm ready. Okay. Anytime you want. All right, so tell us a little bit about um, when we had our phone call the other day, you mentioned that you've had like four different careers, right? Um, radio being one of them. Um, tell us a little bit about your career in radio and how that maybe prepared you for other for, for the next career in life. Sure, yeah. When I was in seventh grade, these DJs from a local radio station DJed a dance at my high school, and that was that moment. I was like, those guys are the coolest. I want to be like them. And we're talking junior high school dance. And this is back when like Freebird was on the air, right? And and so everybody wanted Freebird because it was a super long song and you could slow dance uh, with a girl for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Um, and I just thought they were the coolest. And that launched me into a probably 15-year obsession with radio. Uh, from that moment on, I all through high school, I, I, I did an independent study in high school. We had a little radio class in high school, um, and then I got to do an independent study. And then I went to college for radio and TV broadcasting, got a degree in mass communications, and, and then I worked in radio for several years after that. And, you know, how it prepared me for even now, I mean, when I look back on everything that I've done, there, you know, you can always connect the dots backwards and you can kind of find those commonalities. And for me, back to radio, being able to be like uh, simple and concise and be able to talk in 20 second periods at a time, which is what I had to do because I was in that, you know, top 40 
top 40 radio. I worked at nighttime. So I was really popular with all these, you know, 12 to 18 year old girls at the time. Um, that was another, that was another reason why I think I wanted to be in radio. It was like, it seemed like this really great way to meet girls. And that's not what happened at all. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so, but you know, being able to kind of think and be creative and, and write, actually, I ended up being, um, the promotion director at most of the radio stations I worked for too, which forced me to work on, uh, uh, contests and promotions. And I had to write an awful lot of copy. And that's actually what led to my job at the design firm was that I had this promotional copywriting background and they were looking specifically for somebody, um, with a promotional writing background instead of a technical writing background, which were, that was all their other copywriters were technical writers. So yeah, so this weird like you know connect the dots backwards thing all started back when I was in radio. So what was your radio handle? Like what was your name? Uh, I had a, a few, but but the the one I'm most known for was Joe Bahama. Joe Bahama. <laughs> Joe Bahama. <laughs> when we when I was moving from Oklahoma City to Lansing, Michigan, my my fiance at the time, my my wife now. Uh, we were trying to think of like, it was a, it was a good chance for me to break from this name that an old boss had given me, which was Eric Mitchell. It was the most boring name, but he gave me this name. He said, you got to go by Eric Mitchell because at that time, this was in Oklahoma, the, uh, the football for the Sooners, the Oklahoma Sooners, it was a guy named Eric Mitchell. So he's like, well, let's capitalize on that. And I thought it was (laughs) the dumbest idea ever. That'd be like, let's call you Ezekiel Elliott. Right. You know, like, no. No. How do they get away with that? You would think there'd be like maybe lawsuits or something where you take someone's name and use it. For- I don't. I mean, I mean <laughs> that's crazy. I, I, I could have been my name for all anybody knew, right? So I've I, always wondered how those how radio yeah. names come about because even people that have names that you would go, oh, that's got to be their real name. You go, no, that's not their real name. Like, where does that come no. from? No, most uh, at that time anyway, most people I worked with had a pseudonym of some sort. Um, I worked with a guy named Boomer. He had this really deep, low voice, and he talked like this. My name's Boomer. sounds like a Boomer. Yeah, and then, uh, I, like, almost everybody I worked for, they had, you know, Jim Parker was another one. That was a fake name, and um, almost everybody, almost everybody, except my, my roommate in college. Um, his name was Emmanuel Odoms, and he went by Manny, but that's that was his nickname anyway, so... He was about the only guy I knew that actually used any semblance of his real name. So how did that name come about? Where did oh, that... so we were, my wife and I were brainstorming when I was moving from, uh, from, <laughs> from Oklahoma City to Lansing, Michigan. And we were like, we need, I need a more fun name. I need something more memorable, something that people could really latch onto and something that matched the format. And uh, I don't know, we just came up with a lot of different names and we started throwing around Caribbean type names and... I mean, it was like Caribbean Joe and like all these different things. And we ended up with Joe Bahama for some reason. Because you need a Joe Bahama in Lansing, Michigan. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, and well, you know, talk about stand out like Lansing, <laughs> Michigan, yeah. this, uh, you know, blue collar auto worker town. Um, it's kind of a weird town because it's like Lansing is all blue collar auto worker types. And then uh, East Lansing is all Michigan State and uh, and very white collar. Is a really bizarre mix of community and like a just like a line down the middle, and they were very separated. And Bahamas strange. just makes sense. It just made sense. Everybody loves the beach. Yes. You know, I, I will say, I, I think there was a theme. What, what year was that? That was uh, 90, 1990-ish, 91. So, do you guys remember when Banana Republic, the brand Banana Republic, used to actually look like something from a Banana Republic? Mm-hmm. You know, like their clothes looked like pith helmets, and like you would wear, you would get there, go there and get like... Safari wear. Safari kind of wear. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I didn't shop there because I couldn't afford it. Um, but I did, uh, I bought a bunch of uh, Hawaiian shirts at the Gap of all places. They had like, <laughs> they had a Hawaiian shirt phase at the Gap. <laughs> and I still have two of them, actually. I, I will never, ever get rid of them. They're just, they're part of my, my history, my legend. That's hilarious. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. But I, I, I'm always intrigued at how people have a job. And then they have, they find out like they go from a radio broadcasting career to, oh, and by the way, they needed me to write and do this. And then, oh, there was a, a, an agency and they needed someone who could specifically use that skill that I had built at my job before. And it just keeps propelling you forward in your career in ways you never expected. Yeah. When I went from radio to the design firm, like I still, to this day, I have no idea why they hired me. 
I had no background or resume or anything that would that would lead them to believe that I was any good. What what I had was some audition tapes, some recordings of commercials. I actually had to go pull the recordings of the commercials and listen to them and rewrite them into a script so that I had a piece of paper to hand over to say, here's an example of my work. I had nothing on paper. I had no portfolio. And being in design, you know, like the portfolio is everything, right, to be able to show uh, your work. And I had nothing. In fact, I'm like, here's a, I, brought, I think I brought in a boom box and played a commercial for him one time and said, here's the kind of stuff I do. And I don't know. I still, I, there were some resistance even. And one of, one of my best success stories is that there was a, a woman that they did a group interview process there. So I interviewed with, you know, 10 different people. And there was a woman who was one of the senior level writers there. And I knew, I knew from the minute I walked in, she didn't want to hire me. She didn't like me. There was something about, there was just this bad vibe there. And years later, I come to find out that like, she actually championed for me. Like, I don't know if she was putting off a bad vibe to me or whatever, but she ended up being like my biggest ally. Um, and like one of my biggest sort of champions all the way through, even when I launched my business, uh, she went off to another company and they ended up using us a lot because of her and those relationships, you know, that's another big important part of that journey is a lot of those relationships, you know, if you take care of them, they last. And, um, you know, I don't take care of relationships so that they'll turn into business, but that certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. 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 So, so you've, Put away the Hawaiian shirts. You've gone on to the de- <laughs> you've gone to the design side. You you start the business. It goes full time. You give it away. It's now seventeen eight seventeen years old. Is that right? Yep. Seventeen and a half. You know Ta- that's what the kids do when you yeah, ask them how old they yeah, are. They're right. like, I'm nine and a half. You're right. like, okay. Make sure you get the half. So I'm seventeen there, right? and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so talk. So and you said you know at one point that. You know, people were just interested in the space. And they didn't need you to do the the facilitating. So you're 17 and a half years into this. Talk about you know the evolution of of what you offer and and what that's been like for you. You know, coming from you know, like you said a minute ago, this idea of needing to be spontaneous from a DJ perspective, writing copy, being creative. Um, and I don't mean this to sound the way it sounds, but you're, you're selling space. Right. And whether or not they need you or don't need you for facilitation, you're here for 17 years. So talk about you know, what that's looked like um, and how Spark Space has grown and has grown its reputation and how your role has changed over time. Sure. You know, you asked earlier, like, the, you know, how I had that vision of, you know, five rooms and all this stuff. And I really didn't have that big, huge, grand vision when I started. Uh, all I wanted to do was build a space, a single room, and see what happened with it. And so I did that, and that got up and running the first year, and we were in the short north area of Columbus, which is our artsy-fartsy district here. And uh, it worked out really well. You know, I called it my working prototype. I, I launched it very low risk. We took out a small home equity loan. I used half of it to pay all the rent up front, for the first year and the other half I used to furnish the space. And then I held back a little bit for just reserve in case I needed it. And then I was just really conservative to start off in terms Mm. of how we furnished it and everything. I just wanted to see if anybody would even care about the idea and that started to take off. And so, you know, through some of those, you know, very low, low key, uh, low budget marketing efforts, like give it away, you know, give a free sample. And, uh, and then over time, you know, I started introducing programs in as well. And I actually, for the longest time, did a monthly free program where I would just f- come up with a topic that had something to do with creativity, like how to be more creative. Or um, it, it evolved over time into other topics like customer service and leadership and uh, teamwork and team building. And I would bring in other speakers in areas where I didn't have any expertise, that, but I thought our our clients or customers would be interested in and that actually became a cornerstone of our our whole marketing and even the i don't know just the business itself and then we eventually started charging for those types of things um i would use those monthly uh, workshops or short seminars sometimes they'd be an hour sometimes they'd be three or four hours 
Um, I would use those as a, a testing ground or a guinea pig to see if a topic had any interest or, or what people might be interested in paying for. And then we eventually started adding in some more facilitation and team building and that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things uh, early on, you know, when, when you first start out doing anything and somebody asks you, can you do X, Y, or Z? Your answer is almost always, well, of course we can. And so when people ask me, this is such a great place to bring our team. Do you do team building? Surely you do team building, right? And I was like, absolutely. And I'm like, what's team building? Like, what are you even talking about? (laughs) And then I would like, I went and studied. I actually, (laughs) I went to Barnes and Noble and bought books on team building and started looking at all these team building activities. And, um, and then I started, so I picked out a few and I modified them and I just made them into something I would want to go through. And, and so I started building programs around team building and creativity. And the, the key factor there was, is this a program? Is this something that I would sit in and think it was awesome? Like me personally, because I'd been through a lot of workshops and seminars. So I tried to make it something that I would have been interested in as a participant. And then I had people telling me right and left every time we did something, wow, we've never been through anything like this before. Like we've been through a lot of stuff, but we've never been through anything like this. This was awesome. This was great. And I was like, I was kind of blown away by that. Um, And so we continued that. And that evolved over time from that sort of creativity type stuff to more team building. And then there was a point where I actually uh, took on a partner who had a ton of uh, experience in leadership. She actually had helped develop the leadership development program at Nationwide Financial. And she came, she was looking for a place to plug into, and so I took her on as a, a partner. We set up a, actually a separate business to handle the leadership and team building stuff that we were doing at the time. And we actually built that up. We had a team of five or six people there, and it was doing gangbusters, and that actually was a very successful you know era of of this business um, until one day we we sat down and looked at each other and realized that we just wanted different things. And it was not like, there was no animosity. There was no, uh, I mean, it was just this weird moment where she, I knew she wanted to go do something else. And she knew that I kind of wanted to take a different path. And so we like decided to break up, you know, (laughs) just like almost on a, on a whim, but it was the most amicable breakup you've ever seen. Like we, we split up the business. We did everything we were supposed to do. We went in and, you know, told the kids, (laughs) we told the (laughs) the employees that mom and dad were, were uh, splitting up. They were more upset about it than we were. We just knew it was the right thing at that time. It just was very natural. And, uh, and then we sort of dissolved that part, and then I got back to focusing on the space again. And I took, a, at that time, took a couple years, uh, about a year and a half off of doing any kind of programming whatsoever. And then when I came back into it, it was, at that time, I was super passionate about customer service and thought there was this real need to help people, you know, learn good customer service principles. So I developed some programs around customer service and that actually turned into companies wanting it to apply it internally rather than externally. Um, it wasn't about like serving your external customers or the people who are spending money with your business. They wanted to, their people to serve each other better inside their own company, which I thought was really interesting. So I did that for a long time and then that evolved and I started realizing and I realized this is like the longest answer in the in the history of podcasts. Uh, but you asked me about the evolution, so um, and that eventually uh, evolved into the idea that what people were coming here for was not team building or team development or anything like that. Every time we ever did something that was really successful, it had everything to do with helping the individuals on that team transform in some way, and not about transforming a team. And the team transformation came when the individuals transformed enough. And that was like a real light bulb aha moment for me that that was a missing piece of the puzzle all along that we were focusing on trying to get everybody on the same page doing the same thing. And that's what team building is always about. And then it became more about how do we get each individual on the team to kind of get where they need to be as an individual. And so it became much more about personal development, even though you know, corporate teams were bringing their teams in here to do this kind of thing. And so eventually that led me to get rid of the corporate side of our business for a while, the, 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 te- the program side, um, because 
you know, when you do a corporate program and a, a manager brings their team in, you have two people who are super interested. You have two people who would rather be anywhere on the planet but here. <laughs> and then everybody else is just sort of, sort of, you know, meh, whatever. You know, another day, another, another thing that the boss is making us do. And that was not very fulfilling. So I just backed off and only did, and still to, to this day, I only do public versions of our programs because then everyone who's here opts in to be here and they're all super interested. So that's whew, long evolution, long <laughs> answer, but you asked. Yeah, I did. I did because within, <clears throat> I think anybody in this market in, uh, in central Ohio that knows spark space knows that it's synonymous with Mark Henson. Um, what they may not know is what you shared with us a few days ago was that, you had this passion for what you were doing. And at one point you lost it. Yeah. Um, obviously we don't hear those stories for a reason, right? We don't, we don't go out and, and advertise why, man, this really isn't working out the way I liked it to be. But, but, but you kind of opened this door that um, opens up other doors for you. So tell us about that moment where, you know, when we're talking about, you know, your side hustle that becomes your, your main gig and this thing that you love. And we talk about it all the time, this find your joy. You, you had found your joy, but you also hit a, hit a roadblock um, that I think we, we sometimes gloss over that we forget that um, this is still work. And uh, sometimes we sort of lose the love or the passion for the thing that we're doing. Talk about that and how that affected you. Yeah. For the longest time, I'd say 10 plus years, I mean, I, I loved it. I loved every minute. I, I, I got up in the morning. I couldn't wait to get here. I, uh, you know, I'd go to bed at night thinking about ideas. I, I would fill notebooks full of stuff that I wanted to accomplish or wanted to do. And my wife w would have to look at me and say, I don't want to talk about Sparkspace anymore, you know, because I would just talk about it nonstop all the time. It was, it was, it was very, uh, I was obsessed for 10 plus years, which I think was great, you know. Um, and then somewhere after the 10 year period, uh, I think, you know, looking back on it, I think what it happened was, is the novelty wore off. Um, I ended up in a position in my own company where I had to sort of manage instead of create. And I, uh, I was just doing a lot of the same thing over and over and over. And I'm somebody who's really driven by the new um, I love new things. I love to experience new things. I love to create new things. And there was a point where I can actually pinpoint it almost back to a conversation I had with a coach that I had at that time. And he said, uh, you know, what's your mission with Sparkspace? And I said, well, you know, to build it. Like, that's my, that's been my mission all along. And he looked around, he said, looks to me like it's built. And I said, yeah, you know, I guess you're right. Like I'm, I'm building something that's already built. And, uh, from that moment, I started sort of backing off the creative part and the building part um, and trying to figure out what else I should be doing. And I kind of found myself in these, this role in my own company that I just – at the time, I didn't really know it because it, it was a little novel itself because now it was like managing this thing. And once the novelty of that wore off, it was like, I don't really enjoy this so much. And uh, I went through a period of you know five, six years – uh, the last five or six years really um, of not being as excited or passionate. And when, when you're like that, when you're just sort of, I don't want to say I was punching a clock because I still love my business and I love the people who work here and we still do great things. But at the same time, it was, you know, I was less passionate about it and excited about it and time just flew by. It was the weirdest thing. Like I look back at the last, you know, five, six years, seven years, and I don't know where they went. You know, like I, I remember everything that happened, but I don't, it's like, it was, it's like a, almost like a dream. Mm. And like, I feel like, I don't know, it's because I was disengaged. Um, when I look back now, like, and, and now that, uh, I've done a few things to try to recapture that, that passion and that, that excitement again, you know, I look back and like, I actually was in a low grade depression for a, a, most of that time, still deal with some of that. You know, there are days I get up now and I'm like, ah, oh, I feel the same way I felt a couple of years ago. Like what's wrong with what's going on. Um, and I don't know, I think that can happen. I, I, I assume that I'm not the only entrepreneur entrepreneur in the world who hits that point where they're like, they built that thing and now they don't know what to do. And, and it just leads to this sort of weird 
depressive kind of, uh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up kind of state of mind. And I <laughs> felt like I was in that for a long time. Felt like every conversation I had with a mentor or another business person always led to that, that conversation for me of, yeah, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, you know? Yeah. And I didn't like that because I, I knew for the longest time, this is it. I love this. I want to do this forever. And then I didn't, you know, and that was weird. Yeah. I, I, um, you said something the other day that it sort of snuck up on you. Yeah. And, um, I think that's interesting because I think we all look at these, we're, we're all looking for signposts and pivotal moments. Um, I, I use an analogy, this idea of like driftwood. Um, and driftwood just floats down the river. Just as, and, and when you think about floating down a river, you know, a kayak or canoe, whatever you're doing, it's just, it's serene, it's easy. You're going with the current. But if you're not, I use this idea of driftwood because it, it, the current will take you somewhere that you didn't intend to go, right? And the inertia of your business is going to keep moving. And, right. and unless you're intentional about what you want out of it or to your point, back to the creativity part of it, the new part of it, you're going to find yourself in a place that you didn't expect yourself to be. That's a really good analogy because you do keep moving and our business kept moving and it was still growing and, you know, and our clients still love it. And I mean, all of that from the outside, it looked like, Oh, you guys are killing it. This is great. You know, and from the, from the inside, the inside of my heart and my, my soul, I was like, Man, I'm just not feeling it. Like yeah. I to the point where my wife and I had multiple conversations. We 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 walk a lot. We go for walks almost every day. And uh, we walk 3 or 4 miles through our neighborhoods and um the conversations, a lot of those conversations were, man, I don't know what I should do. I I, I feel like I should get out of it. I feel like I should sell it. I feel like I should shut it down. Like my lease is coming up. Maybe I should just shut it down. You know, mm. that kind of those kind of conversations. Never ever thought I would have those kind of conversations, but those are the ones we started having. Anybody who knows you knows that you're, um, you know, you're a fun, you've got a fun place. You're a fun guy, happy go lucky. And yet you're sitting here making an acknowledgement of something that we don't talk about much, which is the depression side of things that sort of, you know, we're, we're there and real. What, what did you do? Um, a to sort of address that issue, because that's, that's an issue that, you know, permeates all of your life, not just your business. But then um, well, let's start there, and then we'll talk about what you did to sort of reinvigorate your thinking about, you know, Sparkspace and, and, and reinvigorating Mark Henson, sure. uh, the creative. Well, you know, the, the funny thing was is most of the time that I was experiencing depression, I had no idea that that's what I was experiencing. Um, and it wasn't until recently, with the help of some counseling, where my counselor, my counselor told me, "Yeah, I, you've been, you know, you're not clinically depressed, as they say, but you've been experiencing this depression for a long, this long-term depression." And uh, I, like, it was the first time that I, I felt like, "Oh, well, that makes sense now," you know, because looking back on that, that the last several years where I just didn't feel all that excitement or passion or whatever that I used to feel. Um, it, it allowed me to, in a weird way, sort of be okay with that. Like, okay, now, now I have a label to put on it, right? <laughs> now I know that there really was something wrong, um, and I just felt like I just couldn't get a handle on it back then. I didn't really know it was depression. And, and now that I look back on it, I see, uh, um, I see those commercials on TV where they, the, the antidepressant medication commercials, and they're like, you know, do you wake up every day and you're not as excited about the future anymore as you used to be? I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. You know, that's how I felt for the last several years. I never recognized it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I, I feel like I, I want to throw in here right, you know, as we're kind of talking about this particular topic, that um, – that I don't want to call it a diagnosis because it's not, you know, I haven't been officially diagnosed with clinical depression or anything, but just that idea of admitting to yourself that like, that's what I've been experiencing. That alone has been like extremely liberating for me. And it takes, it's taken this huge burden off my shoulders because, you know, it's, it's that sort of acceptance of like, Oh, okay. So it's, it is me, but it's not really me. Like there's this sort of external thing called depression that is separate and apart from me, but it's part of me at the same time. But I don't know, just being able to label it 
you know, finally gave me this weird sense of like, okay, since that is a thing and I, now I feel like I can actually do something about it. Now, now I can get the help I really need. Um, and there were some other things that I did along the way and we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, you know, back during that time that just sort of that feeling of like not being excited or passionate, I really just felt like it was, there was, it was just me. Like I just wasn't hitting on the right thing. Um, I tried just about everything to get out of it. I took seven weeks off work. Uh, this is maybe four summers ago. Um, I took seven weeks off, you know, went camping for a while. I just spent time in nature a lot. I, I, I say, <laughs> I tell people I went to find myself in the woods and, and found out he wasn't there. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I thought that would work. I thought I'm going to take seven weeks off and I'll have an epiphany. You know, God will tell me what he wants me to do next or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and he didn't, you know, and I was really disappointed in that. I, I got done with that seven weeks. I, it was a great seven weeks away from work and thinking about work. And I even took off seven weeks off of social media and everything else. And, uh, at the end of that seven weeks, uh, I felt exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And for months afterwards, I felt exactly the same. And I was really disappointed in that, um, which didn't help the depression now that I look back on it. Um, so during that time, j- just after that, I was, uh, I've been involved in this uh, coaching program called Strategic Coach uh, for the past th- three or four years. I actually, uh, I'm not in it now. I kind of, I wrapped it up at the beginning of this year. But in that program, they, they really get you to focus on what you're really good at. What are your what are your top strengths? You should be putting as much of your effort there as possible. And I realized I hadn't been doing that uh, because I'd been managing my business and administering my business. And those are not my strengths by any means. The creative side is definitely my, my strength side. And so I... St- I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to feel this way and I'm in this, I mean, I just assumed I was going to feel this way for a long, long time. Um, I'm going to at least focus on the stuff that I'm good at, that I get some satisfaction out of, um, that I actually get some good results out of, and I'm just going to do that stuff and I'm not going to worry so much about the other stuff. I made sure my team was in place so they could manage the, the, the business as much as possible. And then I tried to get back to just that creative side. So that's when I started thinking about writing a book and that kind of stuff. And I poured myself into that. And, you know, by doing that, by focusing on the things I'm really good at and where I get good results and I really enjoy it, what I now call uh, ordinary superpowers, um, that started to pull me out of that funk. Um, because, you know, when you get good results and you make some progress and you're doing things you enjoy, it, it, it certainly helps that mood a lot. So that eventually led me to, to write and finish and publish this book. And, and then, you know, uh, again, with the addition of counseling on top of that, I really feel like I've you know, made huge progress. I, I said I operated in a fog for, a lo- for four or five years. Like I just couldn't get out of this fog. And now I feel like now the fog clears away once in a while. It still comes back, you know, periodically, but it, the, it certainly clears away a lot more than it used to. Well, um, so you've written this book. Yes. Um, as you said, it's called Ordinary Superpowers. Um, what is an ordinary superpower? All right. Ordinary superpowers are those abilities or talents or skills that you have that allow you to um, make a positive difference in your life, the lives of other people, or just the world around you. Um, and when I say the world around you, I mean truly like the, the people you come in contact with, the, you know, your coworkers your company, your family, your community that you belong to. Um, and the reason I say it that way is because uh, the, the world sort of pushes us right now to try to change the world, you know, like the world, capital T-H-E, um, you know, do something epic and legendary with your life. And I, I think I fell victim to that too, which did not help that feeling like I wasn't doing enough. Um, because that's the message we get uh, over and over in, in today's media and social media. And, you know, wherever you go, you're hearing this message of, you know, be epic and legendary. And through this work, I've kind of realized that that's not for me what it's all about. For me, what it's all about is how do I create a positive difference in my life, the lives of the people right around me and my immediate world. And then the, I'll let the rest sort of take care of itself. Um, so, there are some things that define an ordinary superpower. And one of those is that you're, it comes naturally to you. So those abilities, talents, and skills that 
maybe you were born with or maybe you developed along the way, but right now at this moment in time, they feel natural to you. They just sort of, it's what you naturally do uh, in any given situation. Um, the second part of the test is that you're better at these than most people. So when you look around your family, your friends, your coworkers, these abilities and talents and skills are usually a cut above when you compare yourself to other people. And by the way, this is the only time that you're allowed to compare yourself to other people. I know most of the time that's a no, no, but when you're trying to determine like, what's, what are my superpowers? I think it's okay to say I have this skill. And when I look around, not everybody else has this skill. That is a really important distinction because part of the the problem uh, with, uh, you know, our abilities and talents and skills is that we become kind of blind to them which is why I call them ordinary superpowers mm. because they just feel ordinary to us. We assume everybody has these abilities yeah. and talents, right? And that's not true at all. Uh, so that's the second part. The third part of the test is that it helps people. It can help you too, but it helps other people along the way. And the fourth part of the test for an ordinary superpower is that you actually enjoy using it. We all have talents and abilities that we're very good at doing, but we don't necessarily get a lot of enjoyment from. They actually might drain our energy instead of give us energy. So when I try to determine what an ordinary superpower is, it's those abilities and talents that when you use them, you know, you actually feel more energetic when you're done, usually using those skills than when, uh, than when you started. Uh, or at least, you know, you, you can't wait to use them again, those kinds of things. Great. That's great, yeah. Very well, thanks good. again. Sure. We've, I really enjoyed coming down here. And uh, having an opportunity to talk with you this morning, so I appreciate it. You guys are one of my top favorite podcasts, and uh, I'm just thrilled that you allowed me to come on and and share my story. Yeah, we, we appreciate it, and and what we love is that you know you're willing to share parts of your story that people don't know, and I think you know hopefully when they listen, um, they'll know Mark Henson and Sparkspace in a slightly different way than they did before, and I think that's a really good thing, and hope it's good for you and and Sparkspace going forward. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks to Mark for sharing his journey with us. To learn more about what's going on at Sparkspace, visit www.sparkspace.com. To pick up a copy of Mark's book, Ordinary Superpowers, visit www.markhenson.me. And as always, we'll be sure to post these links on his podcast page on joyventure.net. If you like what you're hearing on the Joyventure podcast, we'd love to know about it. Head on over to iTunes and SoundCloud to like and follow us. And we'd love it if you'd write a review so others who are looking to discover their joy can discover this podcast. To hear more podcasts or read the posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. If you're discovering or developing your joy and need some help creating your brand through design and story, we'd love to partner with you. Until next time, remember... Never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.